Uh, sometimes we'll come across a product at the store or maybe as we're shopping online, and on the product, in very loud and bold letters, it says, new and improved, right? Which I've always thought was kind of funny, because which is it? Is it new or is it improved? Uh, it's very clever marketing, though, because everybody likes the idea of something being better. Uh, when I was a kid, I loved nacho cheese Doritos. And then one day, they came out with nacho cheesier Doritos and turned my whole world upside down. They, had, they moved me from quarterback to offensive line in sixth grade because of those Doritos. <laughs> Who's joking? I mentioned that to make a point. Y'all, when I came to faith in Jesus, 16 years old, I, came, I became a Christian. I was mainly under the impression still that being a Christian basically meant new and improved Kyle. I had rough edges that I knew needed smoothing out. I had bad habits that needed fixing. And surely Jesus was the key to all of those improvements. See, in other words, I had in mind a system of religious self-improvement. And this is how many people think of the Christian faith, that it's something we take on in order to become a better, more well-rounded person. And I want to tell us, you know, that, that idea is not entirely wrong because being a Christian certainly involves moral and behavioral improvement. We don't stay the same. But in our case, when we preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, we declare that it's not our moral effort that ever gets us to God, God acts on our behalf. God must come down. It's not a matter for us to come up to Him. And so what we say when we talk about the, the change that takes effect in us, we only change, we only improve as Christians because we are new. Any change in a Christian's thinking or behavior is an expression of a prior grace that's been given to us, a prior love that God has made manifest to us, it's an expression of a new heart. So we have to get the order right for us to understand what makes me a better person. It's not simply a matter of the will or of effort. It's a matter of God's grace that animates a new life. And so that's the seeds now that, that John has kind of been planting for us here. We saw this last week in 1 John chapter 2. John speaks of the evidence or the fruit of salvation. If we know Jesus, John says, then we will obey his commands. And the order is everything. The order is essential. Any change in our behavior, in our affections, our priorities, is a supernatural result of God's divine grace. In Jesus' words, to be a Christian means we no longer walk or live in darkness but we now have the light of life. We have life because of Him. And for the Apostle John, the clearest evidence, the most abundant and obvious fruit of this new life, this new heart, is our love for one another. And so much of 1 John, the, the letter as a whole, is about this very thing. It's the command to love that John highlights really above every other command that God gives us. But of course we understand, I hope, that this kind of love, John's love, when he speaks of the Word, it's not something we muster up in our own power. 
It's something that has a divine source, a divine hand behind it. And we're going to see that, I hope, together today in 1 John chapter 2. So let's look at verse 7 and look at this paragraph all at once here. Beginning in verse 7, John says, Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in Christ and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. John begins this section with a little bit of a fake out. I'm sure you caught it. He starts by saying, I'm not giving you a new commandment, but an old one, a commandment that you've known from the beginning, meaning this command to love one another has been clear from the outset. Right there alongside the initial preaching of the gospel was this call to brotherly love. So it's old in that sense. And yet, John says, I am writing a new commandment to you. So which is it? Is it old or is it new? Well, y'all, at one level, the command to love one another, as John says, it's not new at all. And in fact, it's not even exclusively Christian. There are all kinds of people and religions that say we should love each other. But John is echoing Jesus right here when he calls this a new command. I want you to look at what Jesus said to his disciples back in John 13. Prior to his crucifixion, he gathered his disciples and listen to what he tells them. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And we see the newness, I hope, there. The newness of that command is found not in the words, but in the quality, in the nature of the love. Even as I have loved you, Jesus says, you love one another. That's what makes it new. This is a divine love that Jesus embodies to us. It's a love that reflects His goodness and righteousness and His self-sacrifice. Y'all, the Scripture teaches us that Jesus loved you and gave Himself up for you. That's the kind of love Jesus has in mind when He says, you love as I've loved you. And so notice again how John phrases it there in verse 8. He says, this new command is true in Him. It's true in Jesus and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light, capital L, the true light is already shining. What makes it new? It's the fact that Jesus, the true light, the divine light, the Son of God, has brought us out of darkness. Y'all, we, if you are a Christian, if you've trusted Christ, then you are no longer under the penalty and the power of sin. 
no longer destined to walk in darkness, but by faith in Him, Paul says this in Colossians, by faith in Christ, we've been transferred out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of God's dear Son. And so our command to love is brand new in that this love finds its source in Jesus. And it also reflects Jesus and His light one to another. We don't define love on our own terms. Y'all, I hope you know how fickle our hearts can be when we talk about love. I love you. I also love tacos, right? A lot of things I love. And we can make that a term that almost means nothing at all in merely horizontal terms. But when we're speaking of divine, a vertical love, one that comes down from heaven, it's new. It's unnatural. It must have a divine origin. And this is why John tells us that our love for one another is now an unmistakable sign that we really have come to know Jesus. So look again with me at verse 9 here. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we saw, if you're familiar with 1 John chapter 1, John says, if we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. That's one of the outcomes of Christianity. To live in the light, to be with Jesus, means we now have a fellowship with His church. That means, y'all, our salvation doesn't just connect us to God. Salvation doesn't just unite you to Jesus, but also with your fellow believers. We have fellowship together. The Scripture says we are the family of God, the household of God, brothers and sisters, because we share in the light of God's grace. God doesn't just change our relationship to Him, but to one another. And the implications of this are very clear for John, and they're also very serious here. This is not an add-on to the things of faith. This is not a side project, loving one another. John tells us this is a matter of light and darkness. This is a matter of the real thing, real Christianity, or some kind of false and, uh, and ugly form of mere religion. He says, contrast, verse 9, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. And then look down at verse 11. The one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, y'all, before we go any further, I want to warn us that we wouldn't dismiss a Scripture like this by saying, well, I don't hate anybody. I love everybody, right? Which sounds great. But I want to encourage us to consider that being maybe a cop-out, okay? To say, I love everybody. I don't have any enemies. I don't hate anybody. Y'all, if we, if we come to that conclusion and just dismiss wholesale a scripture like this, then we cut out any potential for healthy conviction or needed repentance. And so let me be the guinea pig here for us for just a second. 
if you were to come to me and say, Kyle, who do you hate? Then I'd give you the standard nice guy response. I'd say, I don't hate anybody. How awful. Of course not. But what if you came to me and said, Kyle, do you ever gossip? Do you ever pass judgment? Are you embittered against anyone? Do you secretly wish for their harm or delight in their failure? Do you hold grudges? Do you assume the worst about people? Are you jealous? See, if we ask questions like that, now we're actually exposing real elements of darkness. I say, no, I don't hate anybody. But if you ask the deeper questions, the more particular questions, then we realize, I hope, if we all are just honest with our own hearts, we find darkness in us, the kind of darkness that Jesus came to drive out, the kind of darkness that John warns us against. We're not nearly as loving as we might like to think. And especially, of course, John has in mind our relationship to fellow believers. And so again, don't generalize this. I love everybody. Think specifically about brothers and sisters who make up the body of Christ, the church. John says, the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Y'all, can I, can I bring this down to as simple as I can make it? There is no category for a hateful Christian. There is no such person. There are no hateful Christians. We see, I hope, what John is saying there in verse 11, that if such a person exists or tries to exist, the hateful person is blind. They're blinded by the darkness, meaning they're blind to God, not just to one another. They're lost, unable to live in any way according to God's design for goodness and wisdom and righteousness. They don't know where they're going. That's the threat for those who think they can live in both worlds. I can claim to be in the light, and yet I can, I can live however I want. That, that grace doesn't have to touch nature. God's love doesn't have to fill my heart and pour over into others. John says there is no such person. But of course there is an alternative. And praise God that there's a verse 10. Sandwiched in between these two negatives is the wonderful, beautiful, positive. Verse 10, the one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Y'all, I hope we see again here the deeper realities at work that loving your brother or sister means abiding in the light, living in the light of Jesus, drawing from His grace and love and, and having the empowerment of God to animate this kind of love. See, y'all, love is evidence of something. It's not, it's not what you and I drum up within ourselves by gritting our teeth and trying harder. Love is evidence that we walk by faith with Jesus. It's evidence that the love of Christ for you has taken root in you and is now spilling over from you. You are loving others because of the magnitude of the love with which you have been loved by Jesus. And in that case, John says, we see. We're no longer blind and in the dark. We're able to see and we don't just see each other here. Y'all, the idea is this. 
That when we love one another, we live in the light, we can see God, we see His will, we see His Word, we see what makes for peace and unity and for the building up of the body of Christ, we see, and therefore there's no cause to stumble. There's nothing that might now trip us up because we are living in the brightness of the very expression of God's heart. His love for us is transforming us, is enlightening us. And so for John, we see, I hope, why this new command to love one another is for him. It's the truest and surest evidence that we really have come to know Jesus. Anybody can confess with their mouth without believing in their heart. Some of us have done it. But this is something that can't be faked, and certainly not for very long. Because y'all love, real love, this kind of love is a product of the light. This kind of love must have its di- a divine source and empowerment. This is why Jesus said, love one another, not period, but comma, as I have loved you, so you love one another. And that makes all the difference. Now we're going to circle back to this as we close. But I I want us to see what John does next here. Because John is writing uh, in in the next little section almost like a little poem. But it's an affirmation for the church. And in case we're feeling a little down on ourselves right now because we don't feel like we're loving enough, I want you to see the affirmation that John gives to the people of God here. It's a little repetitive, but that's intentional. Right on the heels of the command to love one another, listen to what John says about the church, about us. Verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for His name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know Him, Jesus, who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know Him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Uh, Who are these different groups of people in the church that John is addressing? Y'all, I read like six different commentaries on this, and there is no consensus. Some people think that John is using these terms, children, young men, fathers, to address people who are in different stages of spiritual maturity, infants in Christ, young people, and mature grown-ups. Others think that John is simply addressing people of different age, younger and older members of the church, and the little children refers to everybody. I kind of lean in that direction, all right? But in either case, it shouldn't distract us from the affirmation that we have here. And so let's enjoy these together because these are, these are for us. Little children, John says, and I think he's talking to everyone in the church who has trusted Christ. John says of us little children, your sins have been forgiven you for His name's sake. On account of Jesus' name, by His grace and for His glory, we are forgiven. And then down in verse 13, children, John says, I write to you because you know the Father. And this is a summation of the Gospel here, y'all. What makes you a child of God is that you have received forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God 
through faith in the name of Jesus Christ. Then he speaks to young men, which I think may simply refer to the younger generations within the church. John says to the young people, he says, you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Now that's an amazing encouragement right there. And a reminder also that y'all walking in the light is not a walk in the park. Can we say that again? To walk in the light where Jesus is is not a walk in the park. We are called to trust and follow Him to bear up under the challenges and the battles of faith and by faith to overcome the evil one, the enemy. I love what John Stott says about this verse. Stott says, as we fight our daily battles against sin, our conflict has become a conquest. In your battle against sin, your conflict is really a conquest because if you trust in Christ, there is no losing. You can only lose if Jesus can lose. If you are in Him and belong to Him, then you will overcome by faith all of the schemes of the devil. You are strong by the strength which God supplies. And then fathers, older folks. Now, I still count myself in the young men category, just so you know, 41, okay? But it just depends on the day, all right? Fathers, John says, I write to you because you have known Him who was from the beginning. Which is to say, you have walked with Christ and you have come to know deep communion with Him. You have learned to trust Him. Not just with your days and your weeks, but with your years. You've been faithful to Jesus and certainly you have found Him faithful to you. That's John's affirmation to the people of God. And I want to offer my own affirmation to us really along these very same lines uh, because I, I, I trust that this is true. I certainly know it's true for me. Maybe you're like me in this regard. Y'all, I've been a Christian now, 41 minus 16. Is that 25? 25? Yes, thank you, Caleb. 25 years. I've been a pastor for 17 years. 18, sorry, 18. And yet, no matter how long I've been a Christian, I'm always still haunted by this nagging feeling that deep down I'm a failure and a fraud. Nothing I ever do is quite good enough. And I come to 1 John chapter 2, the command to love one another, and I know deep down that I don't love people as well as I should, or as much as I should. And I want to say this, if you're like me in that way, that, that we, we can say this too without diminishing any of the wonderful things that God has called us to do. The affirmation that John gives to the church is true for us right now by faith and not by works. Not by how well we think we measure up. Your standing before God, your forgiveness, your adoption into His family, all of these things are gifts that we receive by His grace because He loves us and sent His Son to save us. Your measuring up is not an issue of how you stand before the Father. His grace is your standing. And so even as John gives us very clear and defined lines about the difference here between darkness and light, walking in darkness or walking in light, he's quick, I think, here to affirm to the church that your faith in Christ means you are in the light. 
It doesn't mean we're all walking as well as we could be or should be. But it means that we are in the light because of Christ, not because of what we bring to the table. And if that's true, if Jesus brings us into the light, then now we have not only reason and motivation, but we now have animation. We have ability, by His grace, to walk in love. And so in all your failure and fumbling and falling short, if you're like me, you feel it, you know it. But that does not define God's love for you. God's love is defined at the cross. And so, y'all, I'm going to venture a guess that when we read 1 John 2 about loving or hating our brothers, we should feel at least a little sting here. None of us probably feel like we're really loving as well as we could be or should be. None of us, I'm I'm sure, are loving others with all the joy and urgency and sincerity and self-sacrifice that we see in Jesus. And so does that mean that we're simply destined to live in the dark? Now, I want to close with two very important reminders for us that I hope will encourage us. One is more practical, and one pertains to our standing in the gospel. Y'all, the first thing is this. Y'all, I want us to remember that the Christian love command is a command. Meaning, it's a muscle that must be exercised. It's not something that happens by magic or all at once. To love one another, as John calls us, as Jesus calls us, this is a daily act of submitting our will to God and obeying Him. Let's remember that this kind of love, the love love we find in Jesus, it's new to us. It's unnatural to us. It's not something we create within. It's something that must be done from outside of us. God must come in. God must dwell and animate and empower. And so it's something that has to be cultivated day by day, Sunday by Sunday, moment by moment. And so I'll just say this very practically for us as I hope a way to help. If we want to grow, I really do want my love to look like Jesus. I want others to know I'm His disciple by that fruit. Then the only way we're going to nurture that fruit and grow in it is to be committed to life together. An hour on Sunday is just the tip of the iceberg for the church. Love is only cultivated when we really take the time to pray for each other, praying by name, specifically for what we know others are going through. It's only nurtured when we talk to each other face-to-face, when we share, when we encourage each other, when we serve, when we forgive, when we meet needs and, and share burdens and allow other people to walk with us through the Christian life. There's a real and practical devotion to one another as brothers and sisters that takes this love command from a hypothetical to ground level, to the real stuff of life. It's not going to happen hypothetically. It doesn't happen in a swimming kind of feeling that we have inside. It's only something that is exercised as we live life together. And so here's a question that we should ask ourselves. I've got to ask myself too as it relates to this command to love. Am I so busy? Am I so distracted? Am I so loosely connected that practical Christian love never really can take root in my life? Are my my decisions and actions and priorities 
keeping love in the hypothetical category and not making it face-to-face, life-on-life and heart-to-heart. In that, com- in that case, it's a command. Jesus is calling us back into the light. Love one another with a real, practical, meaningful, personal love. That takes commitment. But then secondly and finally, is, is I hope we remember, because I've said it like 19 times, where this love comes from. To borrow a little from a future text, uh, 1 John chapter 4, we'll get to it eventually, but let me just tell you, 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because He first loved us. Y'all, all of our love for God, our love for each other, it comes from a divine source. It comes from a prior and greater love of God. And that love is expressed to us in the sending of His Son. We know love Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so here's the truth for us. Y'all, a command, a, a simple command, the words on the page will not change your heart. Love one another. The words by themselves will never transform you and make you like Jesus. But grace can. And it will. The grace we receive from Jesus to really know and experience the, the, the height and the, the, the depth and the width and the length and the breadth of His love, to know His love in that way will make you more loving. And it's the only thing in the end that will. A command on its own can never suffice. The best we'll do is feel guilty and try harder. But you can't love people like that. Only when we know the love of God in Jesus Christ are we really changed. And so this is the less practical, maybe in a sense, but more fundamental command to fix our eyes on Jesus. And the more we do, the more we'll nurture and express a genuine love for our brothers and sisters. Because that's how it works. The love of Christ that comes to us will flow through us. And so let's, let this be, I pray, our joy this morning and also our response, our resolve. If God has so loved us, then we also ought to love one another. Y'all, this is what it looks like, ground level, when we walk together in the light. I want to encourage us this morning that we might respond to God's word and his calling to receive his love and in turn to love one another. So if there's, y'all, if there's anything at all in this that we can pray for you, that we can encourage you in, then we're here this morning. Our our pastors, Evan and Aaron, will be right there in the back of the room by the doors on each side, available to take you by the hand, to hear your heart, and to pray with you. And so here as I pray in a moment, as we sing this last song, I want to encourage you, if you need prayer, if you'd like to know what it is to walk in the light, to receive the forgiveness of sins, to be a Christian, then we'd love nothing more than to have that conversation with you today, starting right now. And so I want to invite us to respond. And y'all, this is something for all of us that is both a joy and a resolve, both a gift and a command. Having been loved, let us now love one another. Let's ask for the grace to do it together. Father, if you call us this morning to such an immeasurably high bar, 
to love others, to love one another. These, these folks to our left and our right, to love one another as Christ has loved us. Father, I pray that we would feel the weight of that command, the newness of that, that it is not natural. Father, we will always define love in, in lower, less committed, less costly ways, if it were up to us. But when Jesus defines it, when Jesus embodies it, when we see Him bleeding out on the cross for love, for sinners like us, then Father, would You grant us this morning a much deeper and more urgent sense of what we're called to be. And Lord, let it not crush us, I pray this morning, the weight of this. But Lord, let it lift us because Jesus loved us. Now we are also able to love one another. And so, Father, I pray this morning for Harvest Church, for us in this room. Lord, we will only perhaps today take a baby step in the right direction. And I pray, Lord, that that would be an encouragement to us today. That this is a command that must be exercised. It must be nurtured. We, it doesn't happen all at once. But Lord, if You would make us today a more devotedly, intentionally loving people. Father, that we would have a mind to ask, how can I serve Him? How can I sacrifice for her? How can I pray and encourage? How can I bear up the burden of my brother or sister? How can I seek out peace and unity where we have differences? Lord, that if we're asking those questions, that Lord, You would empower the answers, the response. We'll never get there on our own. But Lord, by Your Spirit, we will. Help us, Father, to see one another. Lord, I pray differently. We'd see each other differently. That we're not, we're not seeing each other as, as uh, products on a shelf, as interchangeable parts, as high maintenance or, or difficult to, to get to know, or like all the interpersonal things, Lord, we bring to the equation. Lord, cut that out of our hearts. And Lord, give us the love of Jesus in its place. That we would be so tender-hearted, so kind, so merciful to each other. Lord, that it really is the proof, the fruit that shows the world that we are yours. Father, we, we will fail unless, Lord, your grace abounds to us. And so, Lord, we ask it of you and pray, Lord, that we'd be faithful to walk it out. All in Jesus' name. Amen.